0: This podcast is sponsored by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Listen for a special May offer at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: From my definition, five solos and their implications, the centrality of covenants in our understanding of the scriptures and of salvation, and then expressed in a historic creed or
2: confession. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined as always by Carl Truman. Um, Way out in the snowy reaches reaches of eastern Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, western Pennsylvania. Western
3: Pennsylvania, yeah. At
2: Grove City College, because it is. Even though we are recording in late April, um, it's it's snowing on you out there in Grove City. We had a freak snow. It was
3: 80 degrees last week, and we've had a freak snowstorm come through this afternoon.
2: Wow, wow. Well, I'm not. Can I just comment? I've never
3: noticed before, but. With your shaved head and the uh-huh. beard, yes, you are starting to look dangerously like James McDonald. Well, that's the you know look I'm that. after. It's uh, yeah, that's the strike, look I'm after. Strike fear into the progressives and the PCA, I, looking like that when you turn the TS.
2: I thought, you know, I, I need an intimidating look. Yeah. I need people to fear when I when I walk into a room. And uh, I thought, what what more fearful presence could yeah, I try yeah. to manifest than than that of James uh, McDonald? And so. Yeah, and and right now, I mean, right now, out where where we live, uh, every imaginable uh, sort of uh, uh, allergen is in the air, and so I'm 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 on the verge of losing my voice, which I know is uh, just the mere thought of my losing my voice would strike uh, uh, desperation. Many of our listeners have actually
3: been praying for exactly that uh, no, to no, happen. No, no.
2: So. P- pe- people uh. fear the mere i the mere idea, the <laughs> thought. Of me not having a voice, so that I I might not be able to opine, uh, is is a terrible thought. But um, so far so good. Hopefully we'll uh, I'll, I'll get through this. Um, but uh, Carl, we have a a returning guest with us today. Uh, it's Jonathan Master, who is the president of Greenville uh, Presbyterian Theological Seminary out in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we're going to talk to Jonathan about theology. We're going to talk to Jonathan about his new book, um, uh, a, a brief introduction to uh, Reformed theology. Uh, but Jonathan, great to have you back on with us today.
1: Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks Absolutely. for making time. This is uh, something I've been looking forward
2: to. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Jonathan, one of the things we want to discuss with you a little bit is is your new book, which is uh, the, the the latest edition of a series of introductory books out of uh, PNR publications. There's one on uh, covenantal baptism, one on expository preaching, one on prayer. Um, and now you have contributed to the volume on reformed theology. And um, I've really enjoyed uh, the volumes that have been coming out—they've uh, they, all been really helpful—and and yours is, a, I find, to be a very helpful introduction uh, to reformed theology. Um, Jonathan, as you th- as you think about the task of introducing people, not just to theology but to the distinctives of reformed theology, uh, what are those? You know, how do you, how do you kind of locate those main points of introduction, which uh, which cause our theology to be uh, distinctively Reformed?
1: That was the hardest part of the whole thing, for sure, mm-hmm. was just getting the definition right, or at least close enough to, to write that I was satisfied with it. One of the problems is that it, the term is used in a number of different ways. So mm-hmm. if you're in, if you're dealing with um, historical theology, then Reformed theology has a a particular meaning. It, it refers to uh, the theology either that came out of the Protestant Reformation or more specifically the non-Lutheran, non-Anabaptist uh, stream uh, that came out of the Protestant Reformation. So there's that historical way of mm-hmm. of addressing it. There's also a, a contemporary use of the term that is, uh, I don't think, uh, help as helpful as it could be, but it, it gets us a little bit closer perhaps. And that is to refer to reformed theology as basically anything that takes seriously the sovereignty of God. So right. uh, maybe peop- someone will want to talk about the five points of Calvinism, for instance. And mm-hmm. that is something that is part of reformed theology for sure, but it doesn't encapsulate all of it. And so definition was the the trickiest part for me. And I had a number of different people kind of in my head as I was sure. trying to come up with that. And so the, the, where, the way I tried to nail it down was I, I instead of talking about uh, the five points of Calvinism, I did talk about the five solas, which again, didn't originate in the reformation, but I do think they fairly encapsulate many of the central concerns of the reformation and the implications of those solos. So I started there and then um, talked as well about covenant theology because mm-hmm. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that it's inextricably linked um, from the very beginning of anything that we would call Reformed theology. Covenant theology plays a huge role, and then trying to get the history and the and the the working out of it in the church. Um, I, I, I also said it should be something that's expressed in a historic creed or confession. So those were the three legs of the mm-hmm. stool, stool from my definition: five solas and their implications the centrality of covenants and our understanding of the scriptures and of salvation, and then expressed in a
3: historic creed or confession. Yeah. So Jonathan, I mean, a lot of churches out there are not reformed in the way that you've just described. <clears throat> Some may be Calvinistic in a, a very generic sense, but what do you see as the real advantages of being reformed in the, the way you spoke about that? What, are, what practical difference does it make in the life of the individual believer or perhaps more importantly in the in the corporate life of the congregation to be self-consciously reformed in this somewhat more elaborate theological and historical way well i'm grateful
1: for churches and individuals who are calvinistic i mean that is a that that's such a significant biblical teaching and so central to how we understand our salvation that I, i am grateful for those brothers and sisters um I think what what sets this apart, though, is it does give um, it, it does give a much clearer vision for how this is all supposed to be worked out in the church, and how it's all supposed to be worked out in the context of my own understanding of uh, of the scriptures. And so, uh, covenant theology, just as an example, gives a kind of superstructure, a kind of skeleton for understanding all of uh, God's work in salvation, culminating in the work of Jesus Christ. And so. You're going to read your Bible differently if you're if you appreciate the the nature of the covenants. You're going to read your Bible differently if you uh, are are firmly entrenched in a historic tradition by means of a creed or confession. And then you're going to your your life uh, in the church and the the worship of the church is going to be shaped differently if you're um, conscious of these things. I, I, I was thinking a lot about Calvin's. description of why the reformation was necessary and of course the two pillars that the two main things he points to are first that the worship of god was lost that the pure worship of god was lost and then also that the the uh means by which god can be man can be reconciled to god it was also lost justification by faith alone And, and that worship component which calvin begins with is something that calvinism itself on its own doesn't really articulate clearly for you.
2: Yeah. 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 You know, I think it was, and Carl and I have talked about this numerous times in the past, but it's an important thing to remember, you know, as, as there's been a lot of critique in recent years of the young restless reformed movement, one of the areas of critique is something Jonathan you brought up, which is um, a lot of people kind of got really excited in the early two thousands about, the uh, the resurgence of reformed or reformed ish theology, and and really what was going on was a resurgence of a of a high view of God's sovereignty, and again, that's a good thing. Glad that that is, um, but but really, the 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 definition of what it meant to be reformed really kind of came down to: Do you like John Piper and John MacArthur, N- neither of whom really are reformed in their theology. If you understand, you know, if, if, if you take covenant theology seriously, but, but oftentimes that's what it, what it came down to. And some of those early leaders of the, you know, restless reformed movement um, uh, ended up kind of distancing themselves either from reformed theology, either distancing themselves from reformed theology or kind of, in some cases had a bad fall. Um, But, but what I found was it, as we look back, it, it in many ways, it was just a popular movement, and I'm, I'm glad it, the, that as a good thing, it was a popular movement, but it also acted like a popular movement, which it had a lot of hangers on, um, but when it came down to things like actually considering things that the reformers took very seriously, like the reforming of worship and the reforming of pastoral care and ministry, those didn't seem to be as popular, did they?
1: No, that's exactly right. And we see all kinds of fallout from that. I mean, the a, a, like you said, there's good news and bad news. The good news was for, for many guys, this was an entry point into right. an understanding of the sovereignty of God, an understanding of Calvinism. I like how you – you you referred to it. Uh, did you guys make that up that you referred to it as it, I you like John Piper, you like John <laughs> MacArthur? That's what makes you reformed. It, that's it's sort of like yeah. wasn't wasn't that George Marsden said that about evangelicals? It's it's anyone who likes Billy Graham like Billy or something Graham, like, right. like that. <laughs> but but you know, the good so the good news was that they they were exposed to some Great preaching right. and and a higher view of the sovereignty of God, and also for many for many guys, that was a an entry point into a deeper understanding of the uh, the theological roots uh, of of these things. Uh, but but the the downside is it, it did use that label, and we don't. I'm not trying to be a a, a label police mm-hmm. uh, here, but but it did it, it used that label in a way that was. Uh, a little bit superficial, I would say more than a little bit superficial, and and potentially misleading as well. Yeah. So that's the that's the downside. And then, like you said, as a movement, it bore all the marks of every faddish popular movement right. that
2: we've that we've seen come and go. Yeah, you know, you point out and I, and rightly because for me, same types of entry points. You know, I was a Southern Baptist who became convinced of the doctrines of grace but but what I found was is that in terms of um really significantly changing my my outlook on on the scriptures in the church it wasn't until I saw and learned Covenant theology where where the most significant changes happened in terms of the way I read the Bible um the way I thought about pastoral ministry and worship and of course, you know, baptism in the Lord's supper and those kinds of things. So, so yeah. it was it was covenant theology that had a more radical, significant impact on me as a person, as a Christian, as a pastor, than than even the embrace of of, of the doctrines of of grace. And I think that's you know one of those kind of dividing points, um, and 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 why it's peculiar to me oftentimes when when well known. Um, kind of predestinarian preachers um, call themselves Reformed, but 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 they've rejected some of the main tenets of of covenant theology. I wonder, you, just real briefly. Can I just
3: intervene and say, yeah. God, it sounds to me as if you're describing both yourself and Jonathan, when you yeah, first met me. <laughs> so, there you that go. usually yeah. reported to me that you used to mock me behind my back for Peter baptism
1: <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I don't remember mocking you, but if I did, I'm more than willing <laughs> no, to come clean. You're, I, I, you're more know, of a gentleman
3: Jonathan. than you're more of a gentleman than Todd <laughs> is, Jonathan.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, Todd, you're right. I mean, and and the interesting thing is, as a historical matter, it's been part of uh, the teaching of the reform from the right. beginning. I mean, if you if you if you, for instance, look at Ulrich Zwingli, who a man who certainly had his problems, but would be part of that reform stream. Um, he's arguing. Essentially, in a covenantal way, when he's uh, when he's rejecting the claims of the radical Anabaptists, and so mm-hmm. it does have major spillover implications for ministry, for for uh, for how you think about the pastorate, for how we think about our families as well, but um, and also how we how we understand the, the the overall sweep and scope of of redemptive history as it's revealed to right. us in Scripture. So. I, 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 agree with you. I think it has to be a part of it. And, um, and I think as I, as I look back as well and sort of analyze myself, I, I think that I, I didn't, i certainly didn't understand really it wasn't until I started thinking about it historically that I understood the the real interconnection between covenant theology and mm-hmm. what I thought of as reformed theology.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I remember having kind of a, a a, a really enlightening moment when I was listening to um this has been 10 or 11 years ago and I, and I heard John MacArthur speaking at a conference and I'm, <clears throat> I'm not a guy who hates on John MacArthur. Um, but, you know, John MacArthur is oftentimes referred to as reformed. He will refer to himself as reformed, but he's very committed to his dispensationalism. And uh, a comment that he made was, was very enlightening in terms of the stark difference between dispensationalism and covenantal theology. He made the comment when he was asked about, um, the Old Testament and interpreting the Old Testament in terms of seeing Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And MacArthur said in very, very clear terms, Jesus is not throughout the Old Testament. The only places you find Jesus in the Old Testament, MacArthur said, was in the very specific messianic prophecies. Other than that, Jesus is not in the Old Testament. And I thought, hmm. wow, that's a huge, and exactly. Um, and that yeah. that's a major difference in how how we who, who accept and believe and are thankful for coming to theology. We read the Bible very differently, particularly the, the the Old Testament.
1: And one of the ways I try to explain it to people is we want to be whole Bible Christians. Mm-hmm. And and I I I don't think I'd been exposed to what you're the the sort of radical know n- Jesus in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. I don't think I was exposed to that even before I was familiar with the categories of covenant theology. But um, but nonetheless, I, I do think. Covenant theology does open up the whole of Scripture and show quite clearly how it applies um, to us today. And uh, at, to, to your specific point, how it how it reveals Christ uh, yeah. it's
3: throughout its pages. Jonathan, to sort of return to the young, restless and reformed uh, for a moment. We notice that uh, Kevin DeYoung writes the foreword for the book. Um, is that because Todd and I just aren't big enough names for you anymore? I mean, yeah, <laughs> well, a, you know, I, I, I kind of feel a bit personal, you know. Yeah, Kevin we, makes the front cover. We, we, we
2: haven't Todd brought this up with Kevin yet, yeah, but it's yeah. it's going to be it's going to be a topic of it's discussion. It's going to be messy when we speak to him. Less, right. but, uh,
1: <laughs> let the record show. Let the record show that his forward. Someone else asked me about the forward. It's funny that you bring that up, and they said, "You know, Kevin Young wrote the forward. It doesn't sound like he said anything at all about your book." And I said, "Yeah, that's because I don't think he had read the book when he wrote the foreword. He he, <laughs> he actually wrote that foreword is cut and pasted in every one of these uh, books, oh, as Todd mentioned. This oh, is part of his so... Lessons of the Faith series that PNR is doing. Wow. So,
3: so okay. Kevin I got, of, Kevin's kind of plagiarizing himself. No, 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 PNR, PNR.
2: This this is a <laughs> technique from PNR. Okay, I got it. Right.
3: Yeah, but I, you know,
1: I'll, I'll leave I'll leave him to sort all that out uh, in terms of giving himself." <laughs> the rights to his own intellectual property yeah. <laughs> but um but no uh you know listen the, the problem the problem Carl with asking you to write uh, a forward would have been you know i would have been worried that you you're living under these um these misunderstandings that i made fun of you. I'm still kind of reeling from that. I don't think I ever did that. No, I, I don't think you did. I
3: think Todd did. You're well, too well, so much of a joke. Okay. I, I mean, Carl, Carl your your daughter, I've made fun of you. I'm sure your daughters made fun of you. Well, 100%, 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah.
2: but Carl, i made fun of you for all kinds of reasons, but not because of, of covenant theology. So but That's yeah. true. Yeah. But
3: serious question about young, restless, and reform. Yeah. And I think, Kevin, you know, we look back. 10, 15 years ago, to the, the sort of the heyday of the of the YRR, there were a lot of young guys who were leading lights. And sad to say, so many of them uh, have just crashed and burned. I mean, we know at least, you know, there was one, one, I won't mention his name, but one very significant YRR pastor was caught in terrible adultery. Another one tragically killed himself. <laughs> uh, serious question. Do you think that Reformed theology in its ecclesiastical form helps us avoid that? It, it seems to me very interesting that of all of those guys who were there in the in the early days, you know, Kevin was a good churchman from the word mm. go. He was the good churchman. Right. And he was the one who was in some ways really Reformed in the richer sense that you talked about earlier. Do you see a connection between theology and ecclesiology, and this kind of longevity, if you like, yeah. in the ministry.
1: I think there's a there's a significant connection to be made there. And and it's it's worth mentioning there have been a number of these kinds of crises, not all the ones you mentioned, but some of the ones you mentioned where I thought, well, if they were in a Presbyterian church, there would have been a mechanism for dealing with that. Even right. things that have come up in the last six months where I've said, you know, that's that's a terrible thing. It sounds like it's going to be really hard for them to sort it out. And particularly hard because there's really no ecclesiastical right. structure for them to lean on. So, absolutely. Now, having said that, um, we, we all know men who are in very robust, reformed, ecclesiastical structures and who took that kind of thing seriously or at least appeared to take it seriously who also have fallen mm-hmm. in – in ways that are just devastating. So, it's not a it's not a, a hedge against any kind of personal sin or, or lack of integrity on the part of a minister for sure. But I'll even say this, even in those cases where we have seen devastating falls in reformed robustly reformed denominational settings, um it does seem as if the the individual congregations are they have a way forward mm-hmm. um, even in the midst of that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, the lack of accountability in some of those situations was, was appalling and it was, you could see it coming and, yeah. you know, then had to
2: watch it happen. Yeah. It's interesting because um, I, I was having dinner with some new members of our church the other night, and this is the first Presbyterian church that they've been a part of in their entire lives. and, one of the things that really impressed them during our new members class was the whole explanation of Presbyterianism. And they were very comforted by the fact that um, our form of government, uh, a, a reformed approach to church polity and governance, um, gives a lot of protection. Now, first of all, it you know, it has to be actually practiced. Um, and we do understand that there are sinners and goofballs in every kind of church government. However, you know, if you're if you're a megalomaniac looking to build a massive personal brand, um, Presbyterianism is going to be really frustrating for you. Um, it, it's going to be hard to do that where Presbyterianism is practiced well. You know, you can you can find some ways you can force your way into it, but but you know if if you're really looking to be an entrepreneur and build your name and make a great name for yourself it's going to be harder to do that in presbyterianism than in a lot of other places and the conversations i have with people other pastors from other traditions who have the hardest time understanding how i explain for instance how a session functions and that i'm not quote the head elder they just can't understand why i would willingly walk into a situation like that. And I try to explain to him. well, it's actually, it's good for me. It's a comfort for me um, uh, yeah. to not, to not be at the top of the pyramid, so to speak.
1: We've all, we've all, all three of us have been on the losing side of you know, votes <laughs> in a session meeting <laughs> or right. in a presbytery meeting. And uh, that, that you're right. That's a, yeah. that's a good thing. That's a, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
3: How things, as we're sort of wrapping things up here now, Jonathan, how are things going at Greenville Seminary? You've been there, what, two, three years now?
1: Yeah, this I'm in my third year, third, which is hard yeah. to believe, coming up on my third year. Um, it, it, it's, it's been, the Lord has been really gracious to us. Um, I've got, I, I love the guys I work with. Um, we've been able to add some people in the last year who have been a, a real help to me and, and a help to the institution. Our students, by and large, as far as I can tell, it's always hard to know for sure. But but I get I get to know these guys pretty well. Uh, our students seem earnest and godly, and they're committed to their studies and committed to pastoral ministry. I'll tell you, so so everything at the seminary better than better than I expected, and it's somewhat overwhelming in terms of how well it's gone. Now I will say this: one of the things that has been a little bit discouraging, or or maybe it's just pressed me to to work harder. And to redouble our efforts is there is so much work to be done. I don't mean at Greenville Seminary, although there is, but I just mean in in the church, in the world. I mean there are opportunities for church plants. There there's work that needs to be done overseas. There are there are churches without pastors. We get I get calls all the time or emails all the time, and and so does my colleague Pat Daly um, from churches or presbyteries who say we really want a Greenville grad, but you know what do we have to do and and because because all the guys this year already have calls and many of the guys next year have provisional calls and they're saying well all right well how long do we have to wait and it's a, it's encouraging on the one hand but also discouraging when you realize that well it's it's a perennial issue isn't it the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few and the yeah. Lord's seeking worshipers. and so there's there's a ton of work to be done but I am very encouraged by how things are going here. And, uh, and, you know, nothing but, nothing but positive. We have our challenges, but nothing but really positive things to say. It's great. Well,
3: that's great to hear Jonathan and uh, Todd and I both. Sounds patronizing to say it. We're absolutely delighted that you're president of of Greenville. Uh, Very encouraged by things you've done. They're not that it wasn't good before, but we're really encouraged that you're putting your own stamp on it. And uh, the faculty, Uh, Just seem to go from strength to strength, so it's it's really encouraging. The first lady is doing well, I presume. Lovely (laughs) Elizabeth, she's
1: she's doing very well. She's doing very well. Uh, Yeah, we're we're enjoying life here, and uh, it's the Lord's been
3: good to us. And I should add, of course, that my own beloved granddaughter has the privilege of having your oldest oh, daughter look after her for a few hours uh, each week while her mom gets on with um, some. I know. Chores, so. I
1: know. It's a, it, the circle is is complete there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our daughter, our daughter, gets to uh, spend time with your granddaughter. It's a,
3: that's a she's really enjoyed that a lot. So that's great. That's great. Well, um, we had. Delighted to have her influence in our granddaughter's life, even at this early stage, as well. Well, well, I
1: appreciate it. And and I, the one, my one takeaway from this interview is that the two of you have signed up for whatever writing project I I next come up with. You're at least good
3: for a forward or an introduction. Yeah, well, I'll get more than a GPT blur. to do mine for you. you know, <laughs> just uh, give me a uh, forward to Jonathan's new book. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, well, it's been great to talk to you, Jonathan. Thanks, guys. I want to recommend your book to our listeners. It's Reform Theology by Jonathan Master, Magic Ingredient Forward by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, It's published by... Presbyterian Reformed. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, for a chance to enter to win a copy of this book. But if you don't get a copy anyway, it's the kind of book that would be great for a church bookstore as well. Uh, It's a great, it's a short read, it's a great refresher for those who want to be reminded of the jewels that exist in Reformed theology, and a great primer for those perhaps who visit your church and, and don't know what Reformed theology is. This is a very I hate to use that cliched modern word, but it's a a very winsome introduction to Reformed theology. So, Jonathan, thank you for being our guest. Viewers, by the way, when you're visiting the website, uh, please don't hesitate to donate uh, if you wish. We are a listener-supported podcast. And in the meantime, all that remains now for me to do is to thank you for listening, uh, to thank our guest Jonathan for being with us, and say we look forward to being with you all next time.
4: Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever step foot in the door? So how's your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new site for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service and useful features such as Sermon Manager, online bulletins, ministries, books, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like Sermon Audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of May, we're offering 15% off the website setup fee. Get started by using coupon code RS15 when you go to ReformationSites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation.